Everybody to the weekly Genus Brewing podcast. We do this every single Sunday morning at 8:45 Pacific Standard Time, give or take a few minutes, depending on technical delays. Uh, yes, we uh, we do this every week. Uh, the general rundown for those of you that have not seen it before is we start with some general beer news, some general genus news, give you an update of what's going on around the brewery, um, and then we go on to a sort of beer of the week where we pick a beer style and do a breakdown on it and then we go into a couple of discussion topics and finish up with general Q&A. And if you are joining in the podcast for the first time, this is a podcast based off our weekly live stream, something that you can be a part of every Sunday morning. So uh, uh, feel free to enjoy it on the podcast in your car. But if you have time on a Sunday that you want to give us, feel free to actually be a part of the weekly live stream as well. In which case you can, you know, ask us some sweet questions because we do a Q&A at the end. For those of you that are unaware of uh, what's going on, um, we are talking about starting breweries, uh, Braggot beer, and actual mead making um, today. Oh, and foraging, according to Peter. Uh, That has communicated everything so well with us. Um, And, uh, oh, oh, wait, who's this? There, There happens to actually be a person sitting next to me today. Um, everyone, let me introduce Thomas Crossgree, um, hey. one of the original kind of founders of Bellwether Brewing. And uh, what are you on to nowadays, actually? Um, I am working on a new project called Emrys Fermentations. It is a combined brewery and meadery, so we'll be producing both styles of beverages. Um, we'll have a restaurant and all that good stuff. And in the meantime, working up at Hierophant Meadery up in Green Bluff. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you're here to basically be our expert um, for the discussion topics. Obviously, you have quite the extensive background (laughs) in Braggot. I know you were kind of the guy to go to um, a few years back when, like, literally no one in Spokane knew about (laughs) Braggot. I like to brag. It's a bragging point. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, we're going to get into that in a little bit once, uh, once Peter prints out our outlines. Right on, um, right on. All right. So otherwise, anyway, let's get into uh, general genus news. Um, we have a, a new peach sour on tap, which Thomas would probably love to be drinking oh, right now. Man. Uh, once he finishes his coffee, you that know, is. coffee. Uh, <laughs> put your poisons in order. <laughs> exactly. Yes. <laughs> so new peach sour, very delicious. Got a nice little slap to the face of uh, acidity in it. Um, also, what's kind of going on around um, the brewery this week? It does seem like our beer sales in general have started picking back up. People. People are showing up despite the uh, limited room in our tap room. Um, fire tables are the way to go. Um, uh, we also, as you can see, have another microphone to uh, make room in our live streams. And, uh, oh, Peter, we forgot about it. What? The jiggle siphon. <laughs> oh. I didn't forget about it. I clearly wrote it on the outline. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Peter's going to go grab a fan. An, fantastic new product that we got in stock and uh, demonstrate to you all how it works um, and we also got some new racks uh, in the brew house so uh, we have those all loaded up now which has been awesome it means we were able to get all of our brewing materials out of the kitchen onto racks stored properly um, in fact like those kegs even look nice up there don't they Thomas mm-hmm. like so, that does look real nice. Yeah, it was like it looks. It looks like we almost did that on purpose. So, <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, though, yeah. And then Thomas is also starting his brewery. 
So uh, before we talk about a new product, how about you talk about uh, the new brewery that you're doing? Sure. Um, going to be over in Liberty Lake, their new um, river district over there. Greenstone's kind of the project manager over there, kind of a Kendall Yards 2.0, some people are calling it. but. It's um, a, like one of those, uh, what's that, it's a gentrified areas that's not really gentrified because it wasn't like an occupied area in the first place. A right. Newer, a newer, better, bigger. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, it's just been um, open fields for, yeah, in fact, I, I grew up like two and a half miles away from there. And as a kid, I rode my bike over jumps and stuff through that exact nice. field where we're going to be building. And so now you're starting a business fun. there. That's yeah. Cool. That's a little bringing it back. I mean, yeah. that's... <laughs> So are you going to continue doing kind of the, the off style um, beers there then, or, or what's your plan of attack? Yeah. Um, so the way that I'm framing it with Emerus Fermentations is kind of a, a hybrid model of things. And it's going to be expressed in the beverage as well as the food there, calling it a historical modern fusion. Um, sounds a little odd maybe, but... Yeah, kind of focusing more on the Celtic and Nordic side of things, just because that's what I'm personally most interested in. Yeah. Uh, but we'll be expanding into other uh, continental Europe stuff. Um, a lot of the peasant foods that's um, going to be reflected in the in the kitchen is going to be a lot of fun. Some stuff that um, Spokane doesn't really have around, like Welsh cakes, Welsh rarebits. Heck yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> that sounds really fun, actually. Like, <laughs> I will definitely be there. Yeah. Um, no, that's awesome. That is that is great. So yeah, and obviously nowadays we have uh, lots of Nordic yeast strains to choose. Yeah, from. yeah. <laughs> like in I fact, I'm. I mean, years ago when Quike was kind of making its uh, homebrew and commercial surge, I was starting to use it, and um, there was like maybe one or two strains out there, mostly Voss and Hornendal. Yeah, those were kind of the first that that really launched out, and now there's just dozens out there. Oh and, yeah. Um, I mean, maybe even hundreds. I haven't counted them all. If, if I was yep. to really get into quike trading online, <laughs> <laughs> they just dry it and you mail it to each other. It's, it's crazy, but it's really, really cool. I'm going to be exploring through some more of that stuff. Yeah, no, it's fun. I just, even in the last um, couple few months, we've went from, yeah, like you said, I think we had two different strains, but yeah. now we have over a half a dozen. Yeah. I, customer came in the other day and was like, do you guys have quike? I'm like, yes, <laughs> yes, we do. Yeah. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> right. So, no, that's fun. That sounds awesome, actually, too. So, um, well, cool. Yeah, we'll have to, we'll have to keep in touch. Um, how can people follow you on that, too? Yeah, right now, um, the only public access or whatever, if you want to say, is a, a Facebook page. So it's Emrys Fermentations, Emrys spelled E-M-R-Y-S. Sounds good. Awesome. And you guys have a website up yet? or is Not it? yet. It is okay. being designed, but yeah, um, uh, no website just yet. All right, sounds good. Well, people have to uh, keep an eye out for you when, yeah. when it comes down to it. So, Thanks. we also have. Hey, real quick, Peter Samota said our our camera is like 15 frames per second or something like That's that. Sure. I can't figure it out on the settings though. All right. Well, we might just have to roll with it today. At least if the audio sounds good, I know that's what everybody tunes in for on these. So I'm yeah, over I'm overwhelming everything. That's the uh, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It it's is just because it's your, extra wide. Your your presence. <laughs> hey. It can't handle your presence. <laughs> so um, that is all for. Uh, did we already talk about the peach sour? Um, yes, we did briefly t talk about the peach sour being on tap. Did you so. mention that we got another microphone? Uh, we did mention the microphone. Did so people notice that we got another microphone? <laughs> I think people might have noticed. Okay, um, I didn't know if that was obvious or not. And then our uh, our new product too. Uh, the the fact that we're selling Thomas on the streets for money, <laughs> something like that. That's oh yeah. Oh, oh. and and we uh, haven't we haven't told them which corner yes. yet. Right. 
So, That'll uh, be a surprise. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, if that's it for our genius news, I guess it's time for our beer of the week. Bum bum bum. Beer of the week. You want to do that again with us? I'm kind of. No? Right? Okay. Right. Shall, shall we do it one more time? Yeah. Great. Ready, Thomas? <laughs> it's our beer of the week. Bum bum bum. Beer of the week. Let us know how good that was with a with th- three part definitely harmony. That's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, beer of the week is category M4A. M4A. So that's in the mead section category. It didn't used to be in the mead section category pre-2015 when I memorized my guidelines, but uh, it is now in category M4A, um, and it is a braggot. So yeah, braggot. So Thomas, tell us what makes braggot different from other beers. Um, braggot. So there's uh, kind of an interesting story on that. Historically, it's considered a style of mead. It was mead that used some amount of grain in it, uh, whether it was steeped or actually mashed or raw grain, kind of whatever. Oftentimes it was theorized that it was used for simply fortifying for nutrients. Um, fast forward to modern legislation, regulation, call it whatever. Uh, <laughs> right. Wineries are, uh, well, meteries are subject to winery regulation. Uh, and wineries are not allowed to use any sort of grain. Yeah. So that's just almost like effectively then outlawing braggots. Um, but breweries can use honey. So breweries were like more or less rescued the braggot style. Does that make sense? Uh, the super short oh, version yeah, definitely. of that. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is also ironic because breweries have to use 50% of their fermentables right. from grain. So if you ever want to do something that's like, 30% grains and 70% honey, you're basically screwed. Yeah, and that's that's where it does become difficult because a lot of yeah. historical braggots probably were, you know, their yeah. primary, more than 50% of their fermentable sugar was honey, and then it was just fortified or flavored or, you know, somehow treated with some, some amount of grain, but it yeah. wasn't the main focus. So that's just a super synop- uh, short synopsis of kind of the convoluted, so uh so as flavor profiles go obviously they're going to be wide because a lot of times they're going to have um other um different kind of like flavors added to them Mm -hmm. um but compared to um say you know 100 percent uh beer made with grains you know what what are you going to expect from from a braggot um so one thing that's going to drive that a lot is the varietal of honey um take just a couple extreme examples one uh fireweed honey very light uh very sweet but um just also very invasive yeah (laughs) right (laughs) literally an invasive weed around here for those of you that aren't familiar with the area right uh yeah but that's cool that you can make honey with it oh yeah yeah it just i mean different varietals of honey it honestly is very fascinating to me even years later i've been i've been doing all this stuff just depending on whatever the bees are foraging on that impacts the end honey so much yeah so if they're foraging mostly on fireweed honey, it's going to be really nice, um, almost crystal clear, just kind of this off-white, um, nice-looking honey. Uh, compare that to buckwheat honey. Yeah. Super dark. It just looks like oh, yeah. chocolate syrup almost. Yeah. Um, it's got some funky barnyard flavors, kind of grassy, could be kind of chocolatey and um, almost a deep, dark cherry sort of flavor. Yeah. But, I mean, the whole point of that is depending on if you're using one of those honeys, that's going to really impact that beer differently. Interesting. One thing that honey pretty much always does is it is very bio, uh, bioavailable to uh, yeast. Yeah. So it's going to really dry out your beer. Um, gotcha. Unless you're doing something else, maybe some um, 
uh, long chain sugar grains or back sweetening actually, you know, something else to, to produce some of that body but it will dry out your beer. So as a general rule of thumb, when you're doing braggots, um, you are gonna reduce the hopping rates, right? Or at least the bittering hops. Yeah, um, yeah. So for technically that they're a style that doesn't actually need any hops. So yeah. mm -hmm. you can use them where you cannot. It's kind of a, mm -hmm. you know, an option. So, uh, you know, obviously historically, braggots were around before uh, hops were commonplace. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's one of those things. Yep. So yeah, very fun. And uh, again, it's probably one of those legal things now where like legally you have to have hops in beer. So, <laughs> so it's like, I put in two hot pellets. Yeah. Call it a day. <laughs> Weiser is trying to start a fight online. Uh, He's like, uh, Bardic's going to make a, Bardic says we can't make a stronger beer than him. And <laughs> so, somebody responded who has a medical, medical grade freezer. Fun fact, that's actually illegal. He's talking about doing some icing, <laughs> ice distillation. Yes, we cannot do that. At least as a commercial brewery at home. I mean, go for it. Yeah, at home we can do that you, for sure. You do you. you. <laughs> um, um, yeah, but as a commercial brewery in Washington, it's actually legal in some other states. But that's it for uh, the general breakdown of Braggots. Uh, there's going to be more that we'll talk about when you go into the individual ingredients. If you've got any questions on Braggots, go ahead and leave them in the chats because that's what we can look at to answer your questions. Perfect. So, yeah, let's go right on to our malt of the week for a Braggot then. And we've used this malt of the week before uh, for some other styles, but it's got some fun kind of characteristics when it comes specifically to blending with the Braggot style. And that is Red X. Red X is a Munich adjacent malt that's highly colorful, comes in, uh, I think 15 level bonds, somewhere in that range, maybe 20. Um, but it is also diastatic, which means you can use it as a base malt and it has an excellent sugar source. So yeah, Red X is a really fun one, a lot of high color, and you've used it before too, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah. that's another one that I, the one reason why I like it is because it does, uh, being kind of in that Munich category, it all automatically provides a little more body with that drying effect exactly. that so the they, mead provides. They balance the, the each other out, yeah. yeah. Good to have a little extra, a little extra depth to the, to the character, especially mm -hmm. if you're going for any sort of grain character and going for the more, you know, less meaty, more beery braggot. Brag yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, mean, I've, I know I've used that malt, like single malts before, too, yeah. and it does turn out fantastic, so. Yeah, um, actually, yeah. Thomas, and you were at uh, Bellwether, you had a single malt Red X beer mm -hmm. uh, that wasn't a braggot, I don't think. Correct, yeah. Uh, and that was delicious. Oh, thanks, yeah. yeah. Nice, yeah. That might have actually been the first all Red X beer I had. I, I remember you, you. I <laughs> almost feel like that was like that was my thing where I was like, yeah. "What is this crazy malt, and why am I not brewing?" It's like with it? it says it's a smash, but why is it so dark? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I think that was you. I there you yeah. go. I contribute you to uh, making me a better brewer. Yeah, I remember for a while because I think I, I made a, a single malt uh, Red X beer back in the homebrewing news before I even opened up the shop. But I remember that was the first one that I had since opening the shop. And I remember sending everyone to Bellwether nice. at the time. And I was like, if you want to know what Red X tastes like, just go to Bellwether. Nice, that's yeah. awesome. So. <laughs> um, so let's go into our hop of the week. Our hop of the week is not a hop because, you know, you can use hops or you can't. Uh, Thomas, you usually use hops in your brackets, right? A lot of them, yeah. Yeah, sometimes I'll go without, but yeah. Yeah, um, and our, our hop of the week, instead of using hops this week, is going to be spruce tips, which I know very little about, but Thomas knows a lot about. So we're gonna, I'm going to let you kind of take this one in terms of different harvest times, especially in the Northwest and what mm -hmm. that kind of adds. Uh, and then also how you use the spruce tips in the beer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's safe to say that Peter and I's knowledge is uh, just the uh, tip of what we <laughs> all uh, <No>. Penis <laughs> jokes also. I don't have any, but that's throwing that out there. <laughs> all right. All right, Thomas, tell us all about spruce. Yeah, uh, the common time to harvest them, you'll hear most people talking about springtime when the, when the, the spruce tips are kind of that neon green color almost. Yep. They're super soft. They're not going to be pokey. Uh, and those definitely provide an excellent flavor. 
<laughs> really, really nice and delicate. Um, the terpenes are kind of brought down. The tannins are, are a little lower than in the mature growth, but that's the exact reason why I don't mind using mature growth sometimes, especially in a thinner, um, thinner bodied beverage um, like a braggot can be. Um, those tannins and even terpenes will help give it a little bit more body. Nice. Um, uh, so I like to do a cold steep um, or a room temperature, wherever you're doing that um, after fermentation. Um, just throw in however many your recipe will call for. Um, I'm not prepared for any amounts at the moment, but <laughs> he doesn't. Um, th he doesn't think in five gallon batches like we do, so it's <laughs> hard for him to translate. <laughs> just like ten pounds is all you need. I do remember the very first <laughs> spruce beer I made was at home, and I was doing five gallons, and I think I used eight ounces, and and I went and picked out of the the spruce tree in my front yard, and it was over the top. Yeah. And it took about 10 months for it to be drinkable. It was just like liquefied, juiced. Thomas Christmas doesn't actually treat. use toothpaste. He's still using <laughs> yeah. that same beer that he made to brush his teeth with every morning. Turpentine. <laughs> um, yeah. Just why his breath always smells so amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so, so walk through the forest. Awesome. Um, uh, fun, yeah, so. There's a fun fact about spruce too. I remember you told me a while ago, traditionally spruce is actually used not only uh, to help flavor beer, but it was also used as a, a, a supplement, right? Like a nutrient supplement? Yeah. Uh, well, in the, for people. Uh, for people. Yeah. 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 It's chock full of vitamin C and, um, you know, hundreds or even thousands of years ago, uh, those folks didn't necessarily know what vitamin C was, but they knew that if they were drinking or eating stuff with spruce in it, they didn't get scurvy. So uh, a lot of seafaring cultures had a lot of spruce uh, beers, whether they were fermented or not. Sometimes they had yeah. uh, unfermented spruce beer like we would call root beer. Um, but Vikings are very well known for it. But also um, the, the Native Americans here did a lot of spruce beer type stuff. Uh, a lot of cultures used that. Yeah. The Vikings I prefer to think about as just being completely drunk the entire time. Yeah. So, no, <laughs> Berserk mode, just throwing them <laughs> yeah. back. Yeah. Need to, well, we're just going to pretend that they definitely always did fermented yeah. spruce stuff. Yeah. I actually, I've, I've made spruce tea before. Yeah. I, it's, it's surprisingly good. You're like, that's strong. Anytime I'm camping, I always add that to my coffee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, I do. just like, and I'm going to walk over here. Yeah. Uh, you get definitely. into your uh, your Viking heritage there. <laughs> All right, so let's go right into the yeast of the week then, uh, and it looks like we actually have another yeast blend, um, and that's going to be speaking of quikes, uh, the Hornetall quike strain, uh, or quike, as, uh, <laughs> as uh, Thomas and I like to call it, uh, blended with uh, a French saison strain. So, uh, so why did we settle on those? I take it you and Peter discussed that one. First of all, so I like that idea. Um, there's a world of yeast you can use. Uh, uh, Braggot beer isn't necessarily any particular style other than the fact that it's a mead mixed with a beer. So the beer style itself can be very varying, but I like the idea that we're going back to a little bit more of an old world kind of feel uh, by using, uh, I guess, more wild or more, uh, uh, more aggressive and flavorful yeasts like both Saison and Quike. And, and I imagine that tastes a lot closer to how it would taste if you were to ferment it several hundred years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one thing for, um, if you're getting commercial quikes, those are still gonna be isolated. What quike actually is, is just a slurry of whatever's in the air. And they would literally have this uh, wooden wreath that uh, would be dipped into the beer while, or meat or whatever while it's being fermented, then pull it out. Uh, while it's all still covered in um, your Krausen, just let it hang on the wall, and then next batch you throw that right back in. 
So it's just this cycle of uh, it really low maintenance, not terribly scientific. There are still people, breweries um, over in that region uh, fermenting that way. But now what you're going to see with uh, commercial quikes is they are isolated. They've kind of taken out the, the, the weaker strains of those yeast, kept yeah. the, the better strains, and, and you're getting it that way. Tossed so, all the weird yeah. bacteria. <laughs> yeah, taking out the, the bacteria. <laughs> and the Yeah, so those are going to be uh. more isolated. And I, I feel like just like what Peter was saying, blending them in with some of those that are kind of still regional, uh. Um, uh, kind of. At least in my head, like what Peter was saying, kind of gives it that older flavor, what it would have been several hundred years ago. Yeah, that's actually a, kind of an epiphany that I just had right now, too, because I know now that you mentioned that they would let the wreath dry, mm -hmm. um, everybody I know that was like originally getting some of the Hornadol strains over here was getting them in chips. Yeah. And it's like, oh, now all of a sudden it makes sense because yeah. they're actually letting it dry out to get those chips. Yeah, so. and that's why uh, Quike trading online is so easy and so common yeah yeah it's also something that you can uh, obviously traditionally under pitch and it's a, mm -hmm. you know there's strains that are designed to be kind of transmitted we're gonna call it transmitted because that's a you know not a scary word at all uh, very easily which is why i actually started using that a lot on the commercial the scale right because now. you can you know spend a lot less money on uh on on uh, on yeast the ch from homebrew for life is uh is spamming right now what's the combined weight of all three of us i <laughs> know i'm 240 Thomas and I probably weigh as much as Peter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's just go with 500 altogether. <laughs> that's about what I was going to guess, too. So, yeah, no, that's really fun. So, yeah, again, just kind of trying to get those blends, trying to get those uh, that old-world feel of it. And uh, for those of you out there that have never blended yeast strains before, I would highly recommend it. Um, we've done it here for, um, you know, not just sort of wild-type um, beers, but um, even more neutral strains. I know, like, we blend, um, like, uh, an American wheat strains with like California common strains mm. and produce like fantastic, almost Kolsch like profiles. That's one of my um, favorite blends. And uh, yeah, so there's, there's all kinds of different um, blends that you can do. And really um, more often than not, you end up with the best of both worlds from, mm -hmm. from those blended strains. Yeah. So. We've been blending yeast since, uh, since the first time my Hawaii storage was about to expire. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> more often it, it is a, it is a means of, uh, <laughs> of what do we have? That's uh, getting old that we need to use up. And it's, well, that'll probably go really well with this. Oh, look at that. Dill Damn. pickle beer is happening. Uh, <laughs> we, we tried, we tasted it. We just haven't videotaped it. He did. It was, uh, it was, Created last weekend. I'm kind of worried that Hayden might try to drink it all before we get to <laughs> video on it because it's really good. But Hayden, so. if you're still watching, then don't drink it all yet. <laughs> For those of you not in the know-how, um, apparently we are doing a competition to make uh, the best pickle, pickle beer with Homebrew for Life, mm. which is also probably why he's spamming us right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, that pretty much covers it for our yeast, hops, and malt that we're doing for this week's Braggit, like I said, it's a hugely broad category, so feel free to experiment with a Braggalicious IPA or something like that. Um, water profile, we kind of threw in there as a toss-up. I mean, pretty much it wasn't something that was super worried about, mm -hmm. uh, but historically it probably would have been a semi-minerally uh, water profile, maybe a little bit more uh, bicarbonate in there. Um, but it's really not going to matter all that much. Just don't go overboard and don't, don't Burton on Trent it and <laughs> don't Pills in Germany it. Right? Yeah, and I mean, especially for applying this to modern stuff um i would and if you're trying to mimic a particular beer style like braggatizing an ipa or doing a braggot stout i would probably follow the water profile of that base beer yeah there you go 
So. All right. Well, let's go into our topic number one. Uh, keep her, keep her moving there, uh, which actually continues the honey trend. We're going to talk about mead making a little bit because I know we have a lot of crossover people uh, that do both beer and mead making. Um, and we've recently started. I've recently started watching a dude uh, doing the most, um, who's another YouTuber who does a lot of both styles as well. Um, so it's something that I've been getting more and more interested in. And Thomas will also be doing mead at his brewery that he's opening up. So it seemed like the perfect time to do it. So Thomas, what is mead? Mead, uh, the most basic foundational definition is fermented honey in water. Yeah. Well, that's a crazy thought. Yeah, <laughs> kind of, yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's it, it's its own thing. Um, we were saying earlier, it's regulated like wine. So a lot of people will call it honey wine, but that's a very new sort of designation for it. Uh, wine is fermented fruit sugar, beer is fermented grain sugar, mead is fermented honey. So uh, uh, I know a lot of people, like I've heard people asking or like they come up with a concept and I think it comes from watching a lot of TV or cartoons or whatever. Uh, but when they think of mead, they think of like pe people, you know, clinking mugs together mm -hmm. and all that. And a lot of people, because of that, they get the same impression that mead is somehow beer. Do you know where that comes from historically? Not 100% sure, although... Um, just through my own looking, beer, in terms of kind of shared histories, beer and mead are... Hey, thanks, CH. <laughs> beer and mead, at worst, are close cousins. Okay. Where kind of beer and wine, you know, they've taken very pretty much separate paths, but beer and, and mead have done a lot of this over the centuries. Yeah. So that's, that's one guess that I have. <laughs> was it uh, when it was when it was historically drank, was it uh, less alcoholic than it commonly is now? I've tried looking that up and it's just, it's really hard to say because they yeah. weren't, you know, measuring gravities know. and all that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're probably <laughs> like, hey, I got what I got. Yeah. Look and at that. Booze. Yeah. Uh, taking um, kind of pottery scrapings and stuff, they've, uh, they, historians and scientists have imagined that it was incredibly sweet because fermentation control, temperature, nutrients, all that stuff was kind of lacking. Exactly. So yeah. it was very sweet, uh, but it was also probably very strong. Um, for one thing, if you were you're talking about that stereotype of Vikings, it was to partly induce the berserker mode and they're out there fighting and they just want to get too crazy. Nah. So, I mean, it clearly was not just a three and a half percent session thing that they, <laughs> they were, <laughs> it's, it's no Belgian table beer. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, interesting. Very interesting. So, um, yeah, so let's talk about some of the different categories of mead because, uh, I know meat is generally classified depending on the sweetness nowadays, right? Yeah, a lot of it. There's a lot of ways to categorize it. Um, two very common ways is carbonated versus non-carbonated or still um, kind of the more technical term of non-carbonated. Uh, sometimes you'll see carbonated meats called sessions. Sometimes they're called um, and there's a lot of the terminology with meats to me seems like it's kind of borrowed. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> right. So yeah. Um, there's not some absolutes on some of these terminologies like session meads. Is it just carbonated? Is it a session? Whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you can do them still carbonated, uh, full strength over 15%. You can do them down as low as 3%, um, you know, infused with, um, uh, fruits, botanicals. You can do it just plain with just, um, honey and water. Yeah, what's a, so uh, there's going to be some different aging and different fermenting kind of strategies that goes with mm -hmm. all of the, these different things. Um, what would be a, a good, well, first of all, let's go with a good average. What's your, what would you say is your favorite like average strength for a mead? For me personally, if I'm going for a carbonated mead, I like around the 6% mark, kind of a, beer a typical beer sort of uh, level there. Almost hard cider feel sometimes. Yeah, 
Uh, if I'm going for a still mead, I like right around the uh, 12% mark, kind of cool. similar to a wine. Yeah, and I think that's where most people are kind of going to fall just because that's what they see in the stores. Yeah. Yeah. Unless there's a, what's that, that famous like uh, dragon's death semen one? What? <laughs> the one that everyone like tries to clone. Uh, Viking's blood? That one. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, whatever. <laughs> Leave it to Peter. <laughs> Uh, uh, sorry, what was the question? His birthday, he's got something on his mind. Cheers, Esteban, anyway. I appreciate the super chat. And thanks, CH, for starting the donation train. <laughs> um, but, uh, uh, yeah, so uh, that one, is that one high alcohol, or is that what they call it, or is it just because it's... Yeah, yeah, uh, a lot of times, and I, I don't know why, but Viking's blood is just kind of a term used for any red-colored mead. Yeah. Um, I see typically with cherries... So if you look for a Viking's blood recipe, it's almost always going to have cherries, maybe hibiscus, but you're looking for a strong red colored mead. Yeah, <laughs> I, I can see the hibiscus working really well yeah. too in mead. Um, hibiscus is my favorite uh, beer slash beverage. Mm. Um, uh, coloring agent. Coloring agent. Yeah, yeah. right. It's, it got, actually... it's got a subtle enough flavor that it's not going to be like, yep. you know, really strong like when we tried to use beets in it. Mm-hmm. And we actually used that with hibiscus, but it's also a really pleasant flavor. It's yeah. like it's floral, so, sort of citrusy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, all right. So, um, yeah. So, so why, why would you, why do you prefer still mead that's higher alcohol over, um, carbonated mead that's lower alcohol? I think because primarily the body to it, um, a little stronger alcohol level is going to have a little bit more body. If you have a still, just say 6% mead, um, uh, if you have a still 6% mead, it's going to be very thin. Um, maybe even kind of watery. Yeah. Um, so very little body. You certainly could um, do some other additions to make that six percent still mead come off with a little bit of yeah. body, but you know you're going to have a lot more finagling to do. Sounds good. Yeah. Um, so let's go into back sweetening because um, well, we, we had one question real quick. It oh, was uh, asking if we can talk a little bit about boshe mead. Yeah, boshe. Uh, that oh, is yeah. where the Honey, uh, before it's blended in or before it's diluted with any amount of water, you actually cook up the honey. Um, there are many different um, approaches to this. A real common homebrew uh, way to get your, your honey cooked is in a crock pot. Just let it simmer low and slow for, uh, I see anywhere from two hours to 24 hours. Damn. Uh, I like to get pretty aggressive with my bouchets and I'll actually throw it in my kettle and get an actual simmer going. Uh, for anywhere from 15 to 30 minutes. Okay. Um, the I, I really tested it one time, and I I rolled that boil just honey, no water added, until I was serious caramelization. Yeah, yeah. And, and and I was pulling out chunks of um, solidified honey <laughs> sugar because it, it was just it it was burning, it, and I thought that I had ruined it. Actually, it turned out fairly pleasant. I don't Someone know if it would repeat. It was a one-time thing. Hmm? Someone mowing the lawn outside. I oh, hear that. that interesting. Is, yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's raining. Sorry. Buckets. Yeah. I got distracted. It is raining a lot. Someone's yeah. It's raining hard right now and somebody's <laughs> mowing the lawn. All right. That's funny. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so you said you had actually like chunks coming out of that and then you said it turned out pretty good. Or? Yeah. And then when I added the wart into it, everything redissolved. So I was like, well, I've just got a lot of burnt sugar. We'll see. It actually still fermented. Um, everything was great and it turned out really nice. Nice. I want to try that again to see if it's repeatable or if it was kind of a one time nice little thing, but. Yeah, that's what that's what Boucher is all about. Mead no etiquette. Mistakes, don't just start happy little accidents. Yeah. <laughs> Mead etiquette. Don't start drinking beer first because you'll drink at the same rhythm and then end up with a hangover. That's <laughs> pretty fair. I think the rule of thumb is beer before mead. Uh, brown is the color you peed in the morning. 
It's a, kid, it's a kidney failure reference. Oh, God. <laughs> like, where did this what, come from? What it, nobody, nobody ever really knows what goes on in that head. Uh, by the way, did we mention it's Peter's birthday today? It's my so, birthday. Uh, birthday. So, this yes. is before I've started drinking. So, <laughs> um, so let's talk about back sweetening. Um, uh, there's kind of a couple of different, we're not back sweetening. Let's talk about creating sweetness in your meat overall mm-hmm. uh, versus dryness. And there's kind of a couple ways to manage this. I know that you can pick yeast strains that'll kind of work. You can all start with, uh, this is my least favorite way, but you can start with an excess amount of sugar. Um, I don't like that way. Um, you can also uh, use, um, uh, a, you know, a honey that's going to lend more uh, kind of feel of more sweetness uh, with the yeast. Sometimes the phenols it can produce and the esters it can produce can create the uh, perception of sweetness. And then there's also back sweetening. So let's talk about, uh, Thomas, what's kind of your strategy for uh, um, kind of controlling or getting the sweetness level or the dryness level that you want? Mm-hmm. Uh, so the best easy, I, I, hate, I hesitate to say anything is foolproof because I can always mess something up. But the most consistent way to get that level of sweetness really dialed in is just to um, formulate your recipe for the ABV you're after. Again, honey's very bio, bio I say with a V, bioavailable uh, for your microbes. So it's going to ferment dry as long as everything goes properly. It's all right. Logan can't say this in all that ketones. <laughs> I feel like that's not such a <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, just let it ferment dry, then stabilize it. Um, most commonly, it's going to be sulfites and sorbate, uh, and then you can add um, any sugar after that. Um, most commonly, you're going to back sweeten with a little bit more honey, just to bring out the honey flavor and so forth. But if you're going for uh, you know a, 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 an apple mead, you can back sweeten with some apple juice or you know any other sort of sugar source that you'd like to do. But um, yeah, there are a lot of ways. It's, it's kind of a crapshoot, like Peter was saying, if you just oversweeten <laughs> and then hope to try to kill off the yeast at a certain time. Um, so th- that's real unreliable. Certainly you can do it. Yeah. Um, the best way probably is um, just planning on fermenting dry, stabilized, then back sweeten. Yeah. Fed. Yeah, and that's that's kind of my strategy too. And I do that the same thing with cider, just because with, I mean, it's just so easy to kind of nail in what you're going for. Yeah. Uh, by the way, thanks so much to Frazzle Penguin and nice. Ricardo. I'm guessing that's Ricardo with the E A U X. Yes, Ricardo. <laughs> um, I appreciate the super chats, guys. Yeah, awesome. Uh, and definitely do the hundred likes. Peter will do a spoken word poem on the at, fly at the end of this live stream. So, um, awesome. Um, uh, so uh, yeah. So speaking of kind of meads finishing out mm-hmm. um let's talk about uh, nutrients with me yeah. because it's actually a lot more important than beer right yeah yeah uh grain just by itself carries a lot of nutrient that that yeast crave uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes uh, you can't you can't talk about that without that reference right? <laughs> um, by the way our goza it's got electrolytes <laughs> uh, so yeah Sorry. grain uh grain carries a lot that of that like some people beer. still love to throw in nutrients in their beer that's awesome with mead it's going to be a little bit more important and i still hesitate to say it's absolutely necessary um, because it's not but to have a quicker turnaround to have a little bit more predictability uh, in your mead it does become again loosely stated necessary yeah um just a moment <laughs> oh, you Mid- want me to try a peach one, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
Let's do that peach, the, the beer of the day. Um, <laughs> oh, jeez. So I was. Uh, you, you were talking about the necessity nutrients. of nutrients. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, honey has very little nutrient to offer to microbes. Um, it will eventually eat through it. Um, in fact, when I was starting out for my first few years of, of home made me, mead making, I didn't use any nutrients uh, and they finished out, but it took several months rather than just a couple of weeks. Yeah. If you do a step fermentation, thanks, a step, step feeding rather, and um, oxygenate ahead of time, you're gonna have a turnaround very similar to beer. Um, you know, beer is gonna be done in two weeks, maybe four, and you're drinking it. Yep. Um, mead is gonna be with nutrients, maybe a month to two months. So a little bit longer, so, but without nutrients, it could take six months. Wow. I, I mean, yeah. it, it, it still kind of depends, maybe some other adjuncts you're using and stuff, but um, a couple of misnomers, like one, raisins is not a suitable uh, nutrient source. It's gonna have a little bit of body. It's gonna add a little sweetness and flavor. So that's yeah. great, but a lot of people throw around, yeah, using it as a nutrient. Yeah. And that's just They're not, not there. Not really, no. yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not as but much actually, as you'd want. I, I do from like them. if you're gonna get a dry meat, I do like the idea of raisins just for that sweetness or that yeah, actual for sure. sweetness. But mm -hmm. And I do condition on raisins sometimes because it does add a little bit of body. Yeah. And I the, and I like that flavor profile. But as yeah. a nutrient, I just thought I'd throw it out there because that's something that you'll see pop up a lot. Uh, by the way, thank you for all the happy birthday wishes. It's making me really excited on my birthday. Yeah. I'm appreciating it. And uh, CH uh, Homebrew for Life. Uh, by the way, they're a great channel. If you haven't watched Homebrew for Life, you should. Uh, but they had a really good question. It's what a, what's a good average price for a five-gallon batch of mead? Because um, mm. I know I see, you know, I've seen uh, the honey that we can buy and resell. So from a homebrew supply store, which is why we don't do a lot in terms of honey and selling mead, uh, for 12 pounds, which is a pretty good average, I think, for a five-gallon batch if you're mm -hmm. doing the wine strength mead. Mm -hmm. um, that usually, that would cost like 50 bucks. So with nutrients and everything, maybe 60 um, but I know that if you can get local sources, uh, I've seen Chase as low as like, like 36 for a gallon or something like that. Yeah. Um, prices can be kind of all over the place and commercial prices are going to be different than like, like when I'm producing meat, it's going to, my honey price is going to be a little five bit gallon buckets of it. Yeah. yeah you're right. Buying, yeah. 15,000 pounds a year of it. Yeah. I mean, by the I, way, can you like sneak <laughs> some of that over here? Maybe we can like, work out a deal there. Uh, that is actually something very much I'm into and I want to, because I'm going to be um, contracting my own hives. Oh, that's so awesome. I will have some of my own estate honey. And once we get to certain levels, I would love to make some of that available. So you're going to like drop one of those off in my house next yeah, year? Yeah, you know. And, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, <laughs> on awesome. the scale that I'm going to be dealing with, I'm going to be getting honey in, uh, in barrels, 55 gallon barrels that weigh about 650 pounds a piece. <laughs> so <much>. And <laughs> that 650 pounds will be, depending on the meat I'm making, roughly good for a six to eight barrel batch. If I get diagnosed with a uh, terminal disease, can I, I go swimming in just one of those? Dip, just dip <laughs> yourself right <laughs> in there. Yeah, just, uh, <laughs> By the way, Thomas, I... someone says you sound like Dwayne The Rock Johnson. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Uh, there was do one more question up here. Uh, <laughs> that was a reference they made too. They're like, oh, do you yeah. smell hydrogen sulfide in what you're cooking? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, no, um, yeah, I did see somebody had another question too. We are going to try to kind of wrap up the mead thing so we can get on to our last topic. But, uh, um, but somebody was asking about um, water mineral profiles. Yes. Oh, yeah. Meads. Yeah. Um, so you do you usually, you probably don't usually use distilled water, right? You correct. Use like a, you know, something with minerals mm -hmm. content in it. I, else than for yeast health. I do like to go into water profiles, probably not quite as much as some people do. Um, excuse me. 
I really like to go um, as terroir as possible. So what I mean by that, um, using my water source as naturally as I can. If there is something wrong with it, like when I was brewing up at Bellwether, there was uh, chlorine in the water in, in that district. So yes, yeah. totally filtering that, um, making sure that I'm not getting chlorine into my beers. Um, outside of that, I try to do my recipes, do my formulas, do everything else with the water in mind, with, with the local water in mind. That doesn't mean I'm not gonna throw in a little bit of salt uh, to soften out, say, a hazy or something like that. But I probably don't go into water profiling as much as a lot of other people do. Gotcha, yeah. So, <laughs> probably uh, not the answer you were looking for. But at, so. the, same, at the same time, <laughs> yeah. you're still probably not like going down the Spokane River below Kaiser and like scooping up buckets of water. Oh, yeah, you know, absolutely. Usual. Yeah, usually and that's the, more to the treatment plant, I think. Yeah, yeah, oh, and, yeah, and that's what I mean. And as I'm setting up in Liberty Lake, I've taken some samples just for the generic of Liberty <laughs> Lake. Uh, and once I get my actual the pipes in at the building i'll take samples there just to make sure that there's nothing in the water that i want to avoid uh. for sure i'll filter i'll do all that but oh then, man probably... the bpas are so tasty <laughs> so tasty uh welcome to the 21st century hydromel. where everything is polluted anyway someone says i'm french so i'm guessing hydromel is the same as mead isn't it i don't believe so is it yeah uh, through oh, a lot of the world um hydromel is the name for mead okay um here in, in the U.S., a lot of English-speaking places, hydromel, hydro being water, mel being a, uh, a common word for mead throughout yeah. the rest of the yeah, world. Yeah, because I've heard of melomels before, right? Yeah, which is a fruit-infused yeah. mead or maybe juice. Uh, hydromel is another term we were talking earlier about sessions and stuff, a little bit lower alcohol. Okay. You'll see hydromel used to that too, but through some parts of the world, hydromel simply means mead. Oh. And now I know. Yeah. Now, the more you know. Good thing we brought an expert here. Um, last Where's our fun facts with go? Timothy? Yeah. <laughs> uh, the last thing real quick but to wrap up the meat is we have aging types, uh, mm -hmm. stainless versus barrels versus mm -hmm. glass, whatever. Um, I'm guessing the biggest difference is going to be whether you, you barrel age or not. Yeah. Um, so any preference on there? What do you normally do for that? Um, it's going to be a fairly similar approach to how, uh, to how I would approach a beer. Do I want this aged uh, in bottles? With, um, do I want it aged in oak? Some of that. Uh, I've definitely done both with mead. Uh, I've even done barrel fermented meads um, and then just leave them in the barrel for a couple of months. But um, neutral barrels or do you go uh, um, I've used, barrels? I've mostly used uh, wine and spirit barrels and of those two it's been mostly red wine. Okay. But I like all of them. Again, it just kind of depends on that final product you're after. Right, for right. sure. I, right. Kinda, I would like to see a funky barrel at some point in time. Mm -hmm. Sounds good. Um, okay, before we go on, I did see Steve had a really good question that's very pertinent right now. Um, and he's asking, like, uh, to make your braggots, um, I from what I know, you typically will um, blend the honey in with, with your, your brewer's wort <laughs> yeah. um, and ferment it all together. But they're asking, um, it's, is it better to do that way or do you or can you do a mead separately and then blend I, beer together to yeah, make a braggot? I absolutely love both of those, especially on a homebrew level or on a service level. Um, so we get into a little bit of weirdness. If I were to try to blend into a keg, those two, I'm still in discussion if the law is going to let me yeah. do that. But <clears throat> taking that away, you can totally um, table blend yeah. and uh, yeah. take a finished mead, finished beer, blend those together. You get your uh, uh, levels exactly right. Um, commercially, certainly what I'll be doing at Emrys, what I always did at Bellwether was co-fermenting everything. 
the way that I put in the honey, was that part of the question was when you put in the honey? Uh, I think yeah, the question was basically, yeah, yeah, when you're, when you're blending the honey and the beer wort together, mm -hmm. I guess. Okay, yeah. yeah, so when I'm putting or the beer. honey into the wort is I just make a beer at first, um, you know, just following my recipe, mash, boil, all that. Then I cool it down to about 175 to 190, and then I'm whirlpooling, and that's when I add my honey. Gotcha, yeah. Um, so. Yeah, so when you when you add your honey at that hotter temperature, is there any degradation that you're worried about or any like uh, uh, pollens that you're losing? Because I know people like a lot of people go for those natural pollens. Mm -hmm. honey. Yeah, uh, certainly you're going to start seeing some of that degradation above 190. Uh, some of it you're going to see even even below that for sure. Uh, I do it at that level partly just to dissolve the honey, partly to kind of just kill off because uh, you know doing it. Um, commercially looking for stability and all that stuff. Right. There's no active microbes that survive in honey, but spores can survive in honey. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's even why um, infants under one shouldn't be eating it because you can get botulism from honey. Um, it's not the full organism, but it's the spores and that yeah. can still affect tiny little babies. Um, so that super slight, it's, you know, minuscule risk but that's one reason why i do it that way there is like one case that happens every yeah. year yeah <laughs> um so uh yeah so in very interesting um awesome so uh yeah and then otherwise though for all intents and purposes as a home brewer you could table blend those oh absolutely um, and it would yeah. work just i think fine. that's probably i mean maybe even better for consistency or for like a precision that's mm -hmm. it yeah. i think you get great flavors off of doing it both ways yeah yeah, yeah, yeah especially yeah. if you're experimenting for you know the first time mm -hmm. i feel like that might almost be a better way to go just so that you don't overshoot one direction or the other yeah yeah so just there like i was trying to make a one direction reference but i know none of the <laughs> none of the actors in one direction <laughs> uh, all right, so uh, in short, uh, breweries a lot of times legally can't do it because a mead license is a different license than a brew license, um, but uh, doing the blend is a totally viable option on the home scale, and they, they both work just different. Let's go on to starting a brewery and wild foraging. That's our topic number two today, and uh, let's start out just with kind of like the general overlay, real quick process on starting a brewery. I know there's some legal stuff involved. Obviously, we, we all know there's some legal stuff mm -hmm. involved. Um, what, uh, what's your take on... Uh, kind of the overall setup of starting a brewery, both in terms of like general costs to look at, size that you think is appropriate, and mm -hmm. then um, we can talk a little bit about legal stuff too. Yeah, um, and so yeah, I am in the depths of a lot of this stuff. Cheers, Steve. Appreciate the super chat. Like how deep? How hmm? deep is your love? <laughs> He's really deep. Uh, uh, <laughs> like like, can you show Peter on the siphon <laughs> how deep you are? Tell me when. Just tell me when. Okay. Up here. <laughs> uh, thank you, Steve, for that donation. That was now. awesome. <laughs> wow, Thomas is uh, okay. That's why, uh, wear, that's why I wear shorts and flippies. Yeah. I got my flippies. Nailed it. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> trying to figure out uh, the, the exact system. I'm, I'm landing on a five-barrel system, and I've got various really size. size. Yeah, various size. Um, <laughs> Ferment vessels is kind of how I'm approaching that. So I can double batch maybe into some 10 barrels. Um, I can even split batch into some three barrel fermenters. Um, and, and I'm just hoping that that's gonna be the right amount. <laughs> no, uh, there's definitely a lot of uh, market study demographics. Yeah. I've been looking at what Liberty Lake has to offer. Uh, people driving back and forth between Coeur d'Alene and Spokane. Who am I gonna kind of cut off halfway through? So. Looking at all of that, looking at um, the local climate 
uh, of all of that. And then from there, making my best guess on how much yeah. I'm going to sell. Hashtag Monday Mead Day. Yeah. yeah. I think that's, I mean, I think it's an awesome uh, kind of uh, size to start out with, that five barrel size. And mm -hmm. uh, Logan and I have talked before on the channel when we were talking about the starting a brewery process, that a big part of what you're looking for is, you know, walking traffic and drive by traffic. And how can you serve the people that are going to be in your tap room? Because that's, uh, I mean, the, the distro market's a really crazy game right now and very intimidating to try mm -hmm. to get into. So oh, really yeah. attacking that local market, I think, is the best way to, um, to, to hedge your bets and mm -hmm. what size can fit that local market best, both in terms of freshness of your beer and in variety of beer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's one thing. I'm not going to be focusing on distribution. Um, yeah. Most of my stuff, I want to be destination. Come see me. Come experience um, the food, the beer, the mead. The ambiance, you know, the whole yeah. the whole thing is what I'm looking for. Take yeah. you back to the Middle Ages. Yeah. Yeah. On. And, you know, taking into consideration, if you have a tap room that can seat, say, somewhere in that range of like 70 to 80 people, mm -hmm. um, there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to turn over five barrel batches pretty yeah. quickly. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we can turn over two barrel batches of IPA in a week usually. So, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. It, it can go fast if we uh, <laughs> if we have a good one. So we've talked about your theme a little bit. It's kind of that Middle Ages theme, you know, or that, uh, you know, Nordic. What do you, what do you call it? Just yeah, ge generic um, Middle Eves. <laughs> Middle Eves. Middle Eves. Medieval. Medieval. Yeah, that one. I was <laughs> trying to say Middle Ages, and yeah. then it came out That's because I kept East. saying Middle Ages. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that kind of medieval um, I mean, Europe Middle in East beer. That medieval could be a Europe. cool thing, too. What's cool. that? Middle East beer. Yeah. Yeah, you know. Just throw a camel spider in it. <laughs> um, so the, the medieval theme, we talked about that, and that, that, that kind of brings up the importance of branding, I think, in starting a brewery. Mm -hmm. um, and so you're definitely going for a very specific vibe, and one of the things that you're doing, besides the mead that we've already talked about pretty extensively, um, you're going to be doing some stuff with, uh, you're still going to be doing some brackets, right? Mm -hmm. And you do, you do a lot of wild foraging, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so let's talk kind of about, first of all, in, in general, um, uh, why you like wild foraging and why that uh, offers something new to your beer, and then we can talk a little bit more about, like, on the home scale, what people might be doing when with wild foraging. Mm -hmm. uh, something that kind of got me interested into it is just I enjoy camping and fishing and being outside. Uh, I'm really fascinated by just what the forest has to offer. <laughs> uh, one part super cheesy, one part just it, it, legitimately loving to go out and survive off of the forest. I loved that story. What was it called? The Hatchet in, in middle school. Yes, oh, I totally really read obscure. that book. <laughs> that was my favorite book in, in my life, you know, when I was a kid. And I, that, this, is, this is why we're friends. Yeah. <laughs> I remember being forced to read that book. Yeah, it, it was forced at first. And then yeah. I read it a few times just on my own. But that nerd. Sincerely, <laughs> you read because I like to. Jeez. Uh, but that, that seriously was one thing that, that really got me to enjoying foraging and stuff was reading that book um and um when i started home brewing it also was just a way to help kind of save some expenses yeah while also having some fun um so i didn't quite have to spend as much money at his store no okay <laughs> <laughs> uh no but it, it, yeah just a lot of fun that way finding out what's um edible weeds out there um wow it's uh, that's a plantain it's basically in the spinach family and we can eat it um, probably not going to be a great example for beer. <laughs> uh, um, yarrow, uh, just, you know, almost any of your needle pine family trees, pine, fir, spruce. I love that stuff. Camus? Yeah. No, you don't play around with camus. Poplar? Uh, poplar, yeah. Poplar's so good. 
I'm just giving him blank stares. Like, what, what did I say? No, no pub. Camus, wild camus. I'm not sure what it is. You really don't? Oh, he's getting an N and an A. Cannabis. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. It's it's the it's the it's a wildflower that grows around here, and there's like two oh, varieties, and, oh, okay. and yeah, one's yeah. really good, and the other one will kill you. Yeah. And they look exactly the same. Yeah. No, I've not I've not gone. I, I actually I do know what you're talking about now. I mean, and that's where the yeah. Um, I've not used any of that. Oh, okay. Well, never mind then. <laughs> never mind. I actually can uh, wild forest cannabis next door to my house. Mm. <laughs> My neighbors have a greenhouse, but they currently haven't built it yet, so everything's just all set. <laughs> it's a green, it's an open air greenhouse. They have a green. <laughs> it's an open air greenhouse. Uh, that's like our, it's our like our uh, our open air covered patio. patio yeah, our right? open air uh, covered uh, patio. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> if you think hard enough, it's gonna work. Open air patio. <laughs> uh. um, so anyway, yeah, wild forge. And we talked about uh, we talked about spruce earlier, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, there's a lot of stuff that I think uh, you can get just by knowing your local. Uh, Topiary. I want to use that word, but I think it's not a word, but I'm going to say topiary. <laughs> your flora. Uh, local no, flora. To topiary, topiary is the word you're going for, and it is actually, uh, that, that is a thing. That is not what you're thinking. Is it close to the word that I was aiming for in my head? <laughs> Don't think so. No. Topographical. Top, top, top. Yeah. <laughs> Since I am the legal wizard of the bunch, is it possible to get the bracket rules changed to less than 50% grain? Uh, definitely not in Washington. Um, uh, uh, first of all, federally, there's, there's a little bit of... too many wine lobbyists. Yeah, there's, yeah that's For pretty one. much what it comes down to. <laughs> um, federally, there's a little bit of wiggle room there, actually. Uh, it's still federally to be classified as a beer. Um, uh, to be classified as a beer, you have to be 51% grain, but federally, you can also be a brewery and a winery at the same time. So there's a lot of kind of wiggle room if you do that in a state where, uh, where you don't have to be... Um, uh, where you don't have to separate the two licenses, basically, is what it comes down to. Mm -hmm. And I'm navigating a lot of what those impacts are and making sure, hey, there's my floor plan. Are you going to make me put a wall between my tanks? Right. Yeah. To you make know? sure that you're two different buildings. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. But it seems like they're. Hey, thanks, Lars. I appreciate the super stuff, chat. So. Um, yeah. So, the, yeah, there's a lot of weird the legal stuff that goes on with that. And thanks for calling me a legal wizard. I am more of a rogue than a wizard. Um, I have played Paladin, too. So, mm. um, <clears throat> just throwing. Throwing that out there. <laughs> Anyways, uh, anything else with the forging we want to go into, or do you want to go into Q and A? Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff. Just even here in Spokane, no matter what part of the world you're in, um, I you know you could walk through the forest and or, or a meadow or whatever and have enough to make a, a suitable beer. There's bittering agents with yarrow, um, really nice kind of acidic fruity stuff with um, rose hips. Um, birch leaves provide a really clean bittering flavor. It's just, yeah, really, really cool stuff out there. Ponderosa yeah. sap, crusty, yeah. crusty sap. I know, I hit this guy. He's <laughs> like, get yeah. any tree boogers? And he brings me this jar of like, I'm like, you you're going to put this boogers. in beer? Tree sap, yeah, it's a, tree sap is actually a really good flavor. There's yeah. a lot that's... Uh, it's amazing stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, but that's pretty much it for... Uh, Foraging, there's a lot. We obviously can't go into every single plant mm -hmm. or where to find them or how to do it. Um, we could talk about it and just pretend we have pictures, but let's not do that. Uh, yeah. I um, think I really want to do a willow beer with that, other, to be honest. That'd be fun. Okay, we might have to have well, let's bring go Thomas out to, uh, to actually um, uh, like be, be a host for that. Yeah. And just like, but like bring Wild people out stuff. that actually have no idea what they're doing. Then just have <laughs> Thomas and just sit there having him like being like, oh, yeah, they, they just passed by that thing. Could have <laughs> used that. Oh, they could have <laughs> used that too. <laughs> Q&A. I recently brewed hun uh, with honey a red Irish ale, and it tastes very bitter, almost a little plasticky. Would you say this could come from the honey? 
or could it be something else? When I see, so I don't know the answer to this, but when I see plasticky, my first thought is either infection or some sort of polyphenol that comes from a, a water source yeah. combining with the sugar. So, but I don't know, can it come from the honey as well? I've, the only one that kind of comes off is something that I might think would be plasticky, would be sort of that medicinal flavor that honey can provide. Yeah. Um, especially some varietals like mint honey or yeah. buckwheat honey that's really dark and rich can carry a little bit more of that mineral menthol um, yeah, yeah some of that um, typically if it if it's from the honey that should age out it's just a matter yeah. of letting fermentation keep going um, even if it's not primary fermentation going and you're into anaerobic and stuff just let that age out a lot of times plasticky does trigger me into thinking polyphenols or something like that yeah. or chlorophenols yeah yeah, I do know what you mean though. Like, if it like if it if it tastes like Ricola, yeah. <laughs> then, then that then that could be from the honey. Mm -hmm. uh, if it tastes like uh, we always call it the uh, the the garden hose in the middle of the summer when you go to take a drink yeah. out of it, um, then that's that's almost definitely water issues. Mm -hmm. So so starting from the very top of our question chain, because I just obviously got one from the bottom. Um, is it pronounced bragot or brag? Oh, I usually pronounce it bragot, but can it be pronounced both ways? Uh, yeah, so it is a, uh, etymologically, it is a Welsh word, um, and I'll still butcher this, but it would originally have been something similar to bragaud, but bragaud? just braggot. Um, <laughs> is probably is, pretty good. <laughs> yeah. I, I, was like, I was like, I'm impressed by that. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it, it's pretty well accepted as braggot. <laughs> Perfect. So. Uh, someone asks, who the fuck is that guy? This is Thomas. We introduced him at the beginning. <laughs> oh, I thought he meant the guy tied up behind me. <laughs> no, you left him in the car today. <laughs> it's probably me they're talking about. <laughs> Been here all day. Uh, Guys, you should know. Can you make a sort of honey Belgian instead of candy sugar? Let's change mm. that question to more of like what honey would be best for substituting for candy sugar. I'm, I mean, I'm, gu I'm guessing a very, very light honey. Yeah. Uh, so, sorry. Wildflower. So, the question was what kind of honey to use? Well, the question is, can you make a sort of Belgian oh. with honey uh, oh, instead yeah. of the candy sugar? Yeah, I would say absolutely. Um, in fact, the Belgians were very much known for being resourceful and kind of using what they had on hand. Um, there was a lot of stuff that was used time after time. That's why Belgian candy has its reputation and all that. But they absolutely used honey. Um, and I would see no problem with that. Yeah, to get something that's going to be sort of in that same... Uh, vein as Belgian candy sugar is going to be a much lighter honey, say the um, uh, star thistle, um, uh, fireweed honey, something similar to that. Interesting, yeah. So. Even even if you got some uh, orange blossom honey, that's going to have a little, a little bit of the kind of orange floral notes, but it's still going to be a really nice light honey. I want to have, if somebody can figure out a way to do honey with just the mock orange that is oh around my here, gosh, like, yeah. could you imagine what that honey would be like? Like, obviously it's impossible because it's a native plant. Yeah. It's kind of sporadic, but so good though. <laughs> but yeah, if you could like somehow get a field of mock yeah. orange, oh, that would be really good. Uh, so yeah. Oh, here's another Frazzle Ping one, one uh, kind of going off of the blend versus uh, uh, versus co-ferment um, question they had. He's thinking of using a Blondale for a base beer. Uh, is that a good style? Uh, I know we talked a little bit during the actual uh, style breakdown for a Braggot that you usually use a slightly darker, more biscuity thing than a Blonde, but what do you think about the idea of just using a Blonde as a base beer? Yeah, I think that there, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I've even done a um, Pilsner Braggot before and, and I use the lager yeast and all that stuff. Yep. Um, 
So I really do think that any beer is going to be great as a base style for Braggot. Um, just kind of knowing what you're into. Um, if it's a really light, crisp, finishing blonde ale, just be prepared for it to, th that you'll be need to. Be bone dry. Yeah, either yeah. it'll be bone dry or you need to add something up, back sweeten it, um, give, give it a little tannins or, you know. Yeah. Something to build it back up. Yeah. Uh, that might actually be a great thing to back sweeten with. Uh, I know we've used uh, monk fruit extract yeah. in the mm -hmm. past on some of our low-calorie yeah. beers. Yeah. I've uh, never used monk fruit, but I know that it's awesome for that. Yeah. I would say so. if you use blonde as a base, especially if you're blending, I might even say go with a higher-strength mead to kind of go back mm -hmm. in. Um, get some of that extra alcohol sweetness in yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so. just a guess. So many ways. So Any tips ways. for making a dark mild? Do I really need mild ale malt? No, the answer is no. Um, I like to say that you should use a flavorful base malt though. So mild ale malt would yeah. definitely fit the bill. You want to get something uh, in the Maris mm -hmm. Otter range. My preference is always going to be Halcyon, but you can get that sort of brown, light-bodied uh, beer style pretty a lot of different ways, basically. Yeah. <clears throat> so you'll see a lot of recipes of mild ale malt. That's basically, it's very regional. Obviously, yeah, building it up with uh, really any, I, I prefer kind of moderate colored malts, even like um, some aromatic Munich malts you could throw in there. It's such a light style, such a low malt style yeah. that, uh, that I wouldn't really. Maybe even, dare I say it, some light colored crystal malts. I would skip those. <laughs> You've been on a crystal kick lately. You think, yeah. Uh, it's like you're not even my son uh, anymore. Yeah, no, that's the only thing. Uh, some brown malts, some, uh, some, yeah, some. I, I, I prefer. I'm always like a Munich 20 guy myself. Mm. Like a nice Munich 20 is just so, so yummy. It's just like cookie malt. Mm -hmm. That's what I like to call it. So, um, yeah, build it up with some higher, higher amounts of that versus some lower amounts of higher color stuff. I guess is what I would say. Anyway, um, hey, 72 likes. We still have the, the thing. If we get to 100 likes, it's a spoken word poem. If you Jansen, thank that. you very oh. much for the super chat. Much appreciated. Uh, glad to be here for everyone and answering questions. You found one? Oh, well, it was back to the Philip J um, about the plasticky question earlier. And I'm just, I'm seeing it for myself now for the first time. And he's talking about, is it from the not so sweet forest honey? Forest honey is insane. So if you actually have some forest honey, you might be getting some weird flavors from that. Um, forest honey is the weirdest thing in the world. The bees are actually foraging off of aphid poo as their, oh. as oh. their food yeah. source nice. and then making uh, honey out of that instead of making it from foraged flowers. Which is actually very sweet and sticky. Yeah, so <laughs> that could, if, if you're using true forest honey, that I, I, actually, I couldn't say for sure. That might be providing some of that. That's, <laughs> that's crazy. I've never used it and I want to someday. Just saw it and I thought I might throw that out. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for catching that. I wouldn't have, uh, I wouldn't have thought that the forest honey did that much. No, that's all right. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, it's, uh, it's about to start snowing here. How far will the flip-flops make it? <laughs> you haven't known me for very long. <laughs> I've also they, been known to wear flip-flops yeah. winter all year. Before I knew him, it's just, yeah. He's a, we he's have half, that in common. He's half, half hobbit, half giant. So. Mm -hmm. That's it's why true. he averages to a normal size, but yes. he definitely operates as a hobbit most of the time. <laughs> Out in the forest, gardening, making beer, <laughs> having time for a little puff at night. Yep, I'm a yeah, hobbit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I got a question from Eric that's asking about an IPA that he used 5% amber malt in and came out tasting like roasted peanuts. Depends and, on the amber malt. Yeah, I was going to say <clears> some <throat> amber malts will definitely have that flavor. Kiln amber, uh, which is a franco belgis product, 
Kiln Amber is very, very roasty. So that could be a lot of the peanut flavor. Yeah, exactly. And 5%, while, I mean, it, it really, it's going to depend on the, how much grains you have total, right? Um, if you're doing a, tw a 12 or 13 pound grain bill for a five gallon batch, um, that's actually quite a bit of amber malt. Um, and that's definitely going to give you that flavor profile. If it's something more maybe like English style IPA, that's only pushing that 5% mark, um, that might be a little bit more you know, let or a little less intrusive, but uh, still, I probably would keep amber malts out of my IPAs. Um, any tips for using citrus fruit in meads? Mm. Uh, up at Hierophant, where I've been working, um, we have a lavender citrus mead, and it's year after year, the, the best seller up there. Um, so we do pair that with some lavender, but specific to the uh, citrus, we will actually take, take a really sharp paring knife and just peel off the zest in large strips. And we keep away from as much pith as possible, keep the bitterness out, but we're uh, retaining all of those oils and everything. And then we do about, trying to remember exactly, but between a four and eight day steep, I wanna say, uh, yep. after fermentation, <clears throat> after we've uh, done a transfer, all of that stuff, getting it off most of that lease. Uh, we do that before we have either stabilized or uh, sparkaloided. But um, yeah, we just do, um, orange zest and lemon zest for right about a week. Okay, nice. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot of the same strategy that I use when I do it in beer. Mm -hmm. uh, I usually avoid zesting just because you can express a lot of oils and then yeah. you can't capture them. It can, mm -hmm. it can lose a little bit. Yeah, and that's why we're not doing like the shredded zest, but we're using that paring knife to try to Get keep as much of that as feel, possible. Yeah. yeah. Someone's loving the Seisenstein shirt. Forgot to shout out Omega Yeast Labs. Our yeast of the week was nice. not an Omega Yeast. This, it could have been one of the Seisenstein. It could have been. It will be next week. Um, no, well, so if we did so, Hornadol yeast, uh, Omega. Ha we have a Hornadol yeast from Omega, so. Yep. So we use do. that one. Uh, <laughs> do, you know, um, do you know what that one's called? I think it's just called Hornadol. Well, okay. Um, I just saw another question. Oh, can you make mead on fake honey? What is it? I don't know what that means. Uh, so is that going to be maybe grocery <laughs> store honey? That's a lot of oh, high fructose yeah. corn syrup and stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, if if it's sugar and there's not a ton of preservatives and stuff, then probably not yeast gonna have much will, flavor. Right, yeast may eat it and create alcohol out of it, but it's not going to be what you're expecting. Yeah, um, yeah, <laughs> just put it that way. <laughs> good so, in is good out. Yeah. Um, someone else had a question about uh, apple something honey, and I just dropped it. Uh, the style maybe was it Kaiser or some people say Sizer. There's the pronunciation issue, but I think it was a type of honey that he was using. If that can give, if apple kind of honey could also give a we, uh, apple flower honey, was that the type? I don't know. I'm not using an apple varietal of honey, um, so I wouldn't I wouldn't be able to speak to it. But yeah, well, I saw it up there. And I just lost the question. So it comes up a lot, though. People asking for honey or for apple type profiles in in mead for whatever reason that does seem to pop up a lot. Uh, what I'll do is I like to go to English, a lot of English yeasts. They do kind of provide that apple meets pear sort of profile. Yeah. How many breweries are in Spokane? Depends on where you draw the boundary lines. Um, anywhere between 20 and 40. So, greater Spokane area, yeah, versus Spokane proper. Um, also, Lars uh, asking about doing a hazy with some golden promise and then some flaked oats. And uh, yeah, mm -hmm. sounds good to me. I mean, that's 
Hazies. I love keep them flavorful simple. base malts and hazies. Yeah. Because, but I don't because I don't like to, I don't like to use a lot of extra malts and hazies. I like to use your fluffing malts. That's going to be your flaked oats, flaked wheat, yeah. whatever. Uh, I like to use a little acid malt for pH balance. Yeah, I was going to say just. And if I'm going to add any flavor, it's going to come from a flavorful base malt. Yep. It's so Golden like Promise would be a great one for that. What is a good method of coffeeing? Coffee me me me. Whole bean or coffee cold brew? Uh, I think probably Logan and I differ from Thomas on how we do it. Um, I, I know Logan and I do a whole bean. We do a whole bean steep for one day. Um, that's kind of how we do ours. What do you prefer? Um, I just don't like to actually ferment the coffee. Yeah. So whatever I'm doing, if it is, I've done um, a cool steep post-fermentation or I've done making coffee and blending it in. Um, I'd like both methods, but I just don't. I, I just don't blend it before it's fermented. Yeah, so I've seen a lot of recipes that throw it in the whirlpool. I think we're on the same page. That's kind of a no-no, right? Because mm -hmm. you risk that uh, astringency, that extra tannic quality. You can and I find that I roast. pull out a lot more of the green pepper flavor that way, too. Yeah. Yeah. The beaniness. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's why we don't steep for too long when we the go on whole bean. beans. Yeah. <laughs> I call it Which you can get if even on the cold side, for sure, if you yeah. over-extract. Oh, but. yeah. Yeah, we've done it where we've left it in there for like even even like two and a half days. There was, and it started pulling out some of that beaniness. There was one time just because I like doing extreme things just to be weird but I actually took um, I did a, a collaboration with Vessel Coffee once and this was just a little five gallon thing just to feature one but I used their coffee as my mash water yeah so I, that was fermented obviously but I literally just mashed in full strength coffee actually turned out way better than I thought it was going to. That sounds, yeah, that sounds dangerous, honestly. <laughs> it was kind of, it was, yeah, when you had... You had your, a yellow moment. Yeah. You got to try it. <laughs> well, one like, of those things where you're like, you're like, you're like making your coffee and sitting by your mash and you're like... No, yeah, yeah. A pint of beer was literally a full pint of coffee and a full dose of alcohol. So I was like, yeah. Oh, someone said Sparkalote is discontinued. Right yeah, it, I know. I'm seeing a couple of those comments. Yeah, um... Between us at Hierophant, we're figuring that out. Rest in For peace, Barkaloid. figuring that out. I don't know yet. Toss some, <laughs> toss some super clear at it. Hey, yeah. Um, either one of those. The smaller one is, is about eight years old, and it is uh, apple, ginger, braggot, yeah. Toby says he has two religions, coffee and homebrew. They do not mix. <laughs> they do not mix. <laughs> <laughs> Number one rule about Fight Club. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So this guy, um, it was it was my very first original recipe, and I was going for the sort of the the, the triple factor. It was um, all apple juice instead of water, and um, there was malt and there was honey. So call it a malted Kaiser. Call it an apple braggot. Call you know, a couple ways to look at that. I don't know. Um, there was also some ginger in it, and and now it's eight years old, and I can smell it from the first pour. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> There's definitely some sediment in there from sitting around for eight years. We got, we got no one else. Like, can we go a couple, a couple minutes over? We can probably go a couple minutes over. We will, uh, we will probably take uh, just a couple more questions, though, before we do finish this up. And, uh, and we have to say goodbye to, uh, to Thomas for... For the day, Not I know. Uh, hey, let us know in the comments, though, if uh, you want Thomas to come back, because not only is he a uh, professional braggot maker, um, but uh, also, uh, I believe, what is, what is the other one I'm, I'm thinking of right now? Um, mead, wine, mm -hmm. beer, gruit, 
Gruit. That Gruit. is the other Gruit thing. Master. No. Yes. Uh, explain no, what a Gruit is, Tom. Because a lot of people think a Gruit is a style of beer necessarily. No. Yeah. Uh, I think we might so, have to have him come back and yeah, we can do it on and on. But the, the super brief version is uh, Gruit is a historical uh, style of malted fermented beverage. Call it beer, call it not. Um, but it predated the Reinheitsgebot. So it was in Germanic areas. It's a German style of brewing, but it used any manner of botanical. Sometimes there was hops, for sure. Uh, sometimes there was anything else. Farmed, foraged, traded across the ocean. Very Sky's nice. the limit on that stuff. Very nice, yeah. all right. Everybody, hey, give us a like before we finish out this uh, live stream. Uh, if we do get to 81, you will get that, or not 81. If you do get to 100, uh, we are at 81 right now. Peter will do the spoken word. Um, so smash that like for all of you that are still tuned in. And uh, yeah, otherwise, Give us a breakdown on those. I'm going to hop over the computer so I can get ready to end this. What is our opinion on the swan malts? I haven't used them. I have I access to them. I just haven't gotten them. Yes, more meads. A lot of people are saying, yay, more meads. Um, so if yeah, you're going to make a mead so. or a hydromel, Safeway is adding honey in 190 degree water. Um, I would say you don't have to. Um, what's your opinion? I, I know a lot of people just go room temperature water and honey. Uh, yeah, so for dissolving that, sorry, yeah. Um, yeah, just warm enough to be able to dissolve the honey. Uh, a little bit of mixing isn't bad because that helps with oxygenation unless you actually have an air stone that you're oxygenating the must. But um, I would say just warm enough, unless you're doing a Boucher style, just warm enough to get it dissolved. Yeah, so get, preserve the honey as mm -hmm. much as possible. Right? Yeah, all those volatiles. Now, now, if you're just throwing a ton of other adjuncts in it, and you, you don't really care about the honey profile and you're just mostly going for some of the other things that it offers, then, you know, you don't need to be too worried about it. But if you want to protect the honey flavors. Yeah. Um, yeah, real quick before you close this out pretty soon. Um, this is great. Uh, this is eight years old. This is before you were, you know, more of a, you weren't a professional on the scene yet. Yeah, no um, way. <laughs> but uh, it's got a lot of like floral kind of quality. It's got a little bit of alcohol. It does taste a little bit uh, kind of dry to me. Yeah, it's really dry. <laughs> Um, the smell I'm, is great though. Yeah, I'm actually pretty happy. And this is the very last bottle of it. My very first original recipe. Did you say there's like a pine or a mint or something like that? There's something that's really bright on the nose. Um, Doing the most. Thank you. By the way, I don't know if you're on this for the, uh, for the full uh, thing, but we did shout you out earlier doing the most. I appreciate the super chat. Mm. Drink more mead, friends. Mm -hmm. Cheers. We agreed. Yeah. All right, let's close it out. Subscribe to us, like us on the video, and do some thumbing uppings. Go to the website, buy a t-shirt. Buy a t-shirt. Check out uh, uh, Omega Yeast, too. They sent us some really cool swag, and I, it's really comfy. So beer kits. You'll see us more. Some beer kits. Thanks for the happy birthday wishes. I appreciate it. It's going to be a good day. Uh, cheers. We appreciate everyone that was... Uh, uh, that tuned in, everyone that wished me a happy birthday. Definitely all the super chats. Those are those are awesome. So super appreciate that. And thanks to Thomas. Special yeah. thanks to Thomas for coming here. Emery's fermentation project. E-M-R-Y-S fermentation project. No project, but you know. Fermentation. It's not a project. I'm not really doing anything. Emery's ferment fermentations. <laughs> all good. Um, on Instagram? Uh, no Instagram yet, but yeah, just Facebook right now. Just Facebook right now. Probably January I'll be launching Instagram. Instagram coming in January. There will be plenty of nudes. So if you want, you know, giant hobbit porn, that's the way to go. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, see we'll, we'll see you next week. Sunday, 845 a.m. Uh, Pacific Standard Time. Cheers, guys.